In 2022, state lawmakers and Governor Kathy Hochul approved legislation designed to pave the way for thousands of apartments under the purview of the New York City Housing Authority to gain access to much-needed capital improvement dollars through a preservation trust. In light of hundreds of Housing Authority residents voting in December to join the New York City Housing Preservation Trust, we wanted to get an update on the initiative as well as discussing public housing more broadly. So we're checking in with Isaiah Thompson, a senior policy analyst at the Community Service Society of New York. Welcome back to the show, Isaiah. Thanks, David. So for starters, if you can remind listeners, what is the potential benefit from the New York City Housing Preservation Trust for New Yorkers living in New York City Housing Authority residences? The Preservation Trust is this public entity created by New York State legislators to find ways to fund repairs. The tricky thing is, the Preservation Trust itself, you know, is not much different than tons of public agencies in the state. You have like um, HDC, the um, Housing Development Corporation. You have stuff like MTA, which is also a similar type of agency. And even the public housing authorities themselves, like NYCHA, very similar. I think some of them, where the differences come in is that, one, in order to, to transfer developments into a program that was created by the Obama administration known as RAD, you have to give your units over to a different agency. So that, that sort of unlocks more funding. And then you also have where the, uh, unfortunately, our state and federal laws really sort of tie the hands of the agencies like NYCHA and the you know, Buffalo Housing Authority and these other agencies that have developed housing in the past. You know, these agencies weren't really built to work in the modern world. The trust is sort of a, a way of getting around um, a lot of the regulatory hand ties that exist in the regulations. Well, when we talked in March of 2023, you said the implementation of the Housing Preservation Trust law had a quote-unquote rough start. How do you feel like the rollout is going now as we speak in early 2024? There's a lot of things still that are in question. No Strand Houses was the first development to get a chance to vote really on the future of their developments, including the Preservation Trust. NYCHA allowed them the options to vote for the Preservation Trust itself to remain in Section 9 or the, you know, the traditional public housing program or the RADPAC program, which was, um, you know, a, a separate program, which essentially very similar to the trust, except the units would be transferred over to a private management corporation who would then be running the, the units, which, which a lot of housing developments have already gone into throughout New York State. So we had 808 total residents voted, and this was over the course of 30 days. Um, prior to that, there was a 100-day period, which NYCHA, you know, myself and many other people, Legal Aid Society and other organizations, including like labor, who were really trying to, on the ground for 100 days, getting residents out there, um, you know, educated and trying to explain to them. We, we ended up creating like a whole booklet um, explaining what these three options are, because, you know, it's really complicated and even having spent all this time working on this, you know, there's still so many questions. I will say that NYCHA did a really good job and really showed like what can happen when you spend the time to educate residents, spend the time knocking on doors and having those conversations and residents were super engaged. I was really impressed with some of the leaders that stepped up to like rally their neighbors around to say, hey, we have a chance to, you know, change our development. We have a chance to have a say. This is really, you know, the first development really in the history of public housing to ever pick exactly what, you know, the future of their development 
is. And I mean, just to, to recap, you know, 464 folks voted for the Preservation Trust, 172 voted for uh, Section 9, and then uh, 163 voted for PACT. So, you know, really happy with uh, with what happened there, you know, but this is, you know, the first step in what will be a long process. Yeah, the no-strand uh, houses represent kind of just a fraction of the apartments that are under the New York City Housing Authority and that could be incorporated into the Preservation Trust. So do you see this as like a first domino to fall? Is it a standalone incident that advocates and stakeholders can learn from? What What is the significance in the broader picture of, of this vote? For a long time... A lot of folks have said, one, there was a worry that residents aren't going to actually show up and, and care about something like this. Like they're not going to show up to vote or, or turn out to meetings. That was proven wrong. So it was like downplaying what residents can do when given the proper information and saying that, you know, they, they maybe couldn't make this decision and weren't equipped to. And I think this whole process has really kind of shown, and I think everyone should take note from like PHA's upstate to, you know, people across the country to like what happened here and like showing this is a, a huge, really institutional example of resident democracy. And it's, um, you know, it, it should, I, th- I hope that this um, process spreads, you know, because the reality is, you know, you can look to like San Francisco and, uh, and like Cabrini Green and like Chicago, where what you really had were demolitions of properties that uh, and residents essentially just kicked out and uh, sort of strung along and promised many things that didn't happen. And those residents really had no, you know, there's some engagement, but there's no real empowerment of residents. And, you know, that's that's something that we saw across the country when it came to public housing. This is sort of a turn for different. And I, you know, I, I think the idea is that, you know, not only can NYCHA continue to do this and NYCHA's already decided that um, a senior building up in the Bronx will get a chance to vote. We're expecting that they're going to roll out other developments to vote as well. And I hope that this sort of model expands across the state, at least, if not um, further than that. Well, before we move on, let me reintroduce you for listeners uh, just joining us. This is the Capitol Press Room, and we're talking about the future utilization of a preservation trust in the New York City Housing Authority system in order to pay for much-needed upgrades. And our guest is Isaiah Thompson, a senior policy analyst at the Community Service Society of New York. Before we look at public housing more broadly, I just want to ask you, in terms of the preservation trust and its future benefits, you talked about the potential for uh, more votes in the near future. When do we actually see the trust benefiting these residents? Is this something where we should think the no-strand houses, for example, could see changes and ramifications, say, months from now? Or should the timeline be much longer than that? I mean, is this something where we need to set our expectations in terms of years? I think it's definitely a, a years, but but the process will definitely be started before that. I would expect the trust is going to begin to have to engage the residents on more specifics comes to this project, they're going to have to do things like what exactly the scope of the project will look like, you know, what kind of fixes are we going to expect, what sort of financing will be necessary, and then also, you know, um, what sort of subsidy may come from the city, city or state. Uh, so all those questions will be, will be answered, you know, hopefully very soon by the trust. 
I think, you know, they have great leadership over there and a, and a, and a strong board that's beginning to work on those exact questions and staff. Um, so I think, you know, we're going to start seeing engagement with residents. We're going to see an announcement for the financing and for the, um, the funds that are going to go towards the project. Well, we've been focusing on New York City housing specifically, but public housing is not limited to the five boroughs. How does the picture of government-built public housing look around the rest of the state? And is there a need for immediate preservation or growth in terms of public housing there? The really funny thing that we've seen in some of the research is just how New York is really central to the public housing conversation, obviously with New York City and NYCHA, but really, I mean, the state is the first place where government decided that it's possible, in the United States at least, for government to provide an alternative to the private market for housing. Um, you know, we have the first public housing and some of the, a lot of the uh, public housing agencies in New York State started popping up in the, uh, in the 30s and 40s. And, you know, so we're really integral to that conversation the unfortunate thing has been um, the federal government has really sort of washed its hands of providing any sort of su- the regular basic support. I mean, when we talk about you know public housing funding, the you know the PH the agencies essentially send a number to HUD for what they will need to run their units for the next year. Congress comes back and sort of figures out what it wants to give. And that's sort of what the, the PHAs get um, generally for the ma- for maintenance and running their, their units. Um, since from 2000 to 2021, that number that what Congress has provided has been about 1.5 billion less than what public the agencies actually needed. So what we see is, you know, a lot of developments that are in dire need of, you know, from basic fixes to really big things like boilers and, and whatnot. And you know, you have, you know, instances of like in Buffalo with Commodore Perry, where you've got a huge sprawling sort of development that's essentially uh, been vacant for years now. And, you know, across the state, you have different examples of, uh, of disrepair. And we've been able to try and figure out exactly what it looks like. And uh, I think from our estimates, there's about $1.4 billion outside of New York City and capital needs. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of need upstate. And, um, I think it's really important that we, I think, realize that, you know, just because it's not the the big tower in the park NYCHA developments, there's tons of public housing outside of the state, and it's been a you know a home for um, working class, low income people for you know, for decades, and it's something that definitely should be paid attention to. Well, would it represent a major change of pace if the state was to uh, dig into its own pockets and invest in the capital needs as well as the construction of new units of public housing around the state? Yeah, I think so. And I think what's been overlooked is the, the amount of money that the state could actually spend to change this is, you know, is not an insurmountable amount of money. I think um, sometimes, especially with the most recent um, example of like NYCHA, you know, with the big New York Times article that there's $80 billion in in capital needs that, that needs repair. I think these numbers look so huge and so like, like, there's nothing we can do. But, you know, the reality is one, like, you know, for instance, when the RAD project comes through, the 20 year capital need is really over 20 years. So that's essentially like adding up the different costs of, of every um, 
system and every appliance that needs work, you know, things like a fire suppression system, you know, has a, a lifetime uh, cycle of 35 years or like interior walls usually need touch ups, but like you don't need a new interior wall like once every like 99 years for building. So like these things have different different time frames of when they were sort of run out of their useful life. Um, so that that 20 year number, you, you don't really need to think of that 20 year number as the total amount of money you need. It's really digging into that that immediate need, the things that are falling into disrepair right now, and then you can you know you can save money and you can you know try and recapitalize the buildings and do things to to cover that that later need. What, what we found is that you know with a an investment of about like seven hundred million dollars this year, or you know over a course of five years, the state could essentially cover a lot of the immediate needs of the public housing agencies outside of New York City. Um, and, you know, that's that's a lot, but like it's not, if you look at the housing capital that's spent at the state level, it's not, you know, a ridiculous amount of, of funds. It's not like insurmountable. Well, we've been speaking with Isaiah Thompson. They're a senior policy analyst with Community Service Society of New York. Isaiah, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, David. Capital Press Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.